Most people at their core want the same thing, which is to build a better life for themselves and their children, uh, to try to give back a little bit to their communities, uh, and to really, as much as, as they can, live an extraordinary life. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an incredible guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a brand new friend of mine. But I tell you, I feel like we're kindred spirits, like brothers from another mother. He is the global president of Corporate Connections. This gentleman has been a businessman and an entrepreneur who started up and sold a company of his own. He is passionate about sports. He coaches sports for his kids, and he is one of the leading thought leaders in the world on the subject of networking and connecting. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Robert Gervais. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hey, Mickey. That was a fantastic introduction, and I, I need to get that just so I can share it with my own family. That was terrific. <laughs> you got it, brother. Well, listen, when the show comes out, get everybody to listen to the first few minutes of the show and say, hey, that's how I want you to see me. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen, it's a real pleasure and an honor to have you here today, my friend. And I got to tell you, um, ever since you and I were introduced to each other by the great Kai Bjorn, who has uh, become a dear friend of mine, and we're co-writing a book together. Um, I just felt that you and I were kindred spirits, so we had a lot in common. And you also happen to be one of the leading thought leaders in the world when it comes to the subject of networking and connecting. People who listen to the show are entrepreneurs. They're people who, in my opinion, are society's greatest heroes. The free enterprise system exists because they have the courage to go out there and make their dreams turn into a reality. And they listen to the show because they want to learn from great guests like you. But before they can really open their hearts to you, they need to get to know you. They need to know your backstory. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to become the great Robert Chervais? Uh, well, once again, it, it's, uh, it's, it, it's a little overwhelming to be called the great, but I appreciate it, Nikki, and, and it really is fun to be here. I think I have a pretty interesting backstory, and, and of course, it's always tough to judge uh, oneself. But uh, I, I was quite lucky at, at a very young age. I grew up with a, a father who uh, self-made, didn't have a lot of money as he came out of school. And I think around age 29 or 30, he started out as a, as a lawyer and actually went from, from being a prosecutor into corporate law because there were, he received death threats uh, when he was a prosecutor and decided he didn't want to take that risk with his family. So here he was at age 30, kind of starting over and uh, didn't have a lot of money at the time and, and uh, kind of built this great life. And, and he taught me a lot of values from an early age. And one of the great things that he taught me, which I loved, is, is that um, you know, nothing replaces hard work or passion, uh, but also to, to always be true to your word. And, and from day one, he never tried to direct me and my parents, for that matter, my, my father and my mother, to any particular field. They said, what's really important is that you be passionate and that you love what you do. And if you don't, you need to have the courage to change your path because we only get one shot at this. And I've always used that as a bit of a guiding light and principle in, in the decisions I've made and what I've tried to do in my career, uh, and both not only professionally, but personally as well. So I, I really consider myself lucky because I feel like I came from this foundation of, of uh, trying to make the right decisions for the right reasons for myself and, of course, for those around me uh, when the time uh, was right. And then growing up, my dad was uh, very generous with his time and he sat on a number of charitable boards. And, and amongst those, uh, he was very involved with the Montreal uh, Symphony the orchestra here in, in Montreal. Mm. And because of that, growing up on, on Tuesday nights, often the guests would come to our home. So whether it was, you know, someone as, as famous as, as Pavarotti, uh, after the concert, so we'd be allowed to have a nap uh, before uh, or, or 
our regular bedtime. And then we would wake up after the concert to actually have a late dinner with some of these people. Now, of course, you know, I'm seven, eight, nine years old. I don't really know who these people are, but it's really served me well in life because it also made me realize that people are just people. And as you get older and you realize who these people are and that you had this, this kind of strange access to them as a child, um, and they're very friendly and very nice, and you have these great conversations. And as you look back on it, you realize, hey, they're just they're just people. They're traveling to be in a family, and that's carried me well because I think that's a key driver, not only in in kind of my desire to meet new people and network, but to also really never be intimidated in any kind of situation. And that's really served me well. So I, I don't know how in depth you want me to go, Nikki, because there's obviously a lot we could talk about. But I'll, I'll fast forward to to. To, uh, kind of a, key, a couple of key pivotal moments. One at age 16, I got accepted into an international exchange program through the, the Canadian government for schools. Didn't even tell my parents I was applying. I just thought it was kind of a fascinating idea. And I was lucky enough to get chosen to go to India. And I chose in India because it seemed you know, I could have tried to go to Connecticut or Philadelphia or you know somewhere in North America or even in Europe. But India seemed like the most foreign and terrifying place to me. And I think that's a bit, a bit of a character trait. If something scares me, I, I want to go right at it. And I want to not necessarily conquer it, but at least face that fear and, and really kind of learn from it. And uh, I was lucky enough, my parents actually agreed to let me go. And, and I ended up going to India as a 16-year-old alone. And this is back in 1984. So you have to understand, no internet no way to communicate with home over a nine month period. I think I had maybe three or four calls with my parents. So uh, for Ken, uh, obviously that was a, a kind of life shaping experience that again, I think it served me well because it, it made me realize the world is way smaller than we like to think it is. And that really everybody at their core, maybe not everybody, but most people at their core want the same thing, which is to build a better life for themselves and their children uh, to try to give back a little bit to their communities uh, and to really, as much as, as they can, live an extraordinary life. Uh, so I think, I, again, very lucky. I had opportunities. Uh, maybe I, I seized on them, which helped me. And then uh, we can get into whatever you like to get into, but then it jumps into a whole, you mentioned entrepreneurship, and that is, you know, my, my deep, deep passion is is building things. And uh, again, I consider myself really lucky because I had a number of different careers I'm a little bit older now. I'm 53, but I had a number of different businesses. So everything from owning a high-end restaurant or being a partner in a high-end restaurant to owning um, a production film and television theater production company, which I was very involved in and wrote, directed, produced. So really, and lived in LA or back and forth between LA, Montreal, New York. So I've had a number of different things. Went into finance at one point because I wanted to learn about it. Uh, so I had a Bachelor of Fine Arts graduated with a Bachelor of Fine Arts, wasn't sure what I was going to do with it. Uh, actually ended up by chance interviewing for a job here in Montreal and the head of the global division was in town. He sat in, offered me a job in France. So jumped on that, went to France and then realized uh, I, I wasn't quite sure what I was doing. So he said, go back, do an MBA, which I did. Came out of that in the middle of a recession, went into finance, realized that wasn't for me, went into film and then when I sold that in 2000, when the bubble burst, I started the business that's really set me up for the rest of my life, uh, which is Zero Fail, which was a technology company, infrastructure play. And I uh, built that out over a 15-year period and had a great exit about five years ago, which led me to where I am today with Corporate Connections. So I was a little bit long-winded, but that gives you a bit of an idea. And of course, there's a bunch of stuff in there. There's politics at one point and a number of other small businesses. And I continue to dabble and, and try to be involved in a number of different, uh, different things. You know, that's a fascinating story. And I, and I tell you, what was it like to go to India? India was, uh, it was kind of an amazing experience. And I, I remember getting off the plane and I thought I was going to be sick. Not, not because of the smells or, or uh, anything in particular. And there are a lot of people who have different, um, I think, reactions to India. Uh, we arrived at around three in the morning in Delhi. Uh, it was tough to walk through the airport because there were people sleeping. And that's not the case today, by the way. But back then, there were people sleeping all over the place. So you were kind of stepping between people as you tried to exit. And of course, the heat and you know the exotic smells, uh, it all kind of hit me. And as a 16-year-old, I, I think I was just really nervous. And it was kind of terrifying. But very quickly, uh, and it took a few days, 
but very quickly I kind of fell into this 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 cadence of of learning and discovering and kind of realizing how sheltered my life had been and how big the world was, but at the same time how small it is. Uh, so a good example, I I arrived at these these people who put me up for the first few days before going off to this school. Uh, here I am feeling completely discombobulated and kind of terrified. And I arrive at their house and they have a sign uh, for, for a, a daycare called The Study, which is the exact same sign as a school about six blocks from my home. Now, And I didn't know this, but as it turns out, uh, the mother uh, of this family um, she actually taught school in Montreal about 15 years before I went to India and had brought the brand with her. So here I was, the other side of the world, kind of terrified, and all of a sudden this little piece of home is right there in front of me. And, and it just kind of brought home how, despite how far away I was, uh, there are always little things that kind of bring us right back to, to our home or where we are and remind us of who we are. And, and that's been kind of a lifelong thing where I found no matter where I go in the world, often I feel at home Uh, Because either the people, things that are said, things that happen, things that you see, and that's when you realize the sort of global village that we live in and how it's crazy that we don't take more time to build those relationships across the globe. I'm from Iran myself in the Middle East, and I I was born there. And I got to tell you, the people in the eastern part of the world They've got big hearts. They really know how to take care of people. There's something in, in my language, in Farsi, we call pazirari, which really uh, loosely is translated into hospitality. But the hospitality of the people in Iran toward perfect strangers, where they literally give you the shirt off their back, give you their last meal, uh, is something that uh, always has made me proud to be a Persian and be an Iranian. And I'm, I'm wondering, did you run into that when you were in India, where people really wanted to take care of you, even though they didn't maybe even know you all that well? Absolutely. And by the way, that, that is still true today because now in my, my new role, um, I go to India two, three times a year and it's the exact same thing today as it was back then. And it's kind of fascinating actually because that first time where, where I didn't really know what to expect and people took me into their homes as I traveled through India or throughout India after the school term ended and the, the way they took care of me, but not even that, people I would meet on the street and the way they would take care of me, or as you said, you know, kind of like offer you their, their, their last piece of food or their last nickel, uh, which was a really strange thing coming from North America in a Western culture where we, we tend to be very protective sometimes of what we have. To see these people were willing to give so much who had so little. And again, I think that was one of those moments where, and frankly, I, I had difficulty when I came home. Humbling, I was when you yeah, see well, I, people are willing to do that, you feel like, oh my God, I yeah. am not nearly as good as this person who's I, basically destitute and has got such a spirit that he makes me feel like I need to be a better human being. Hundred percent. And you know what's strange? Also, when I got back, I, I think it took me about a year to to adjust, but I was a little bit angry about my own culture and my own life, and I I <laughs> I, I, I felt like I hadn't been grateful enough for what I was given, and that people around me had no idea how lucky they were. So that's always, I think, been part of a, a lifelong mission is to, to help people recognize, and not, not through anger anymore, but through positive energy, <laughs> but make them, you know, help people realize just how lucky we are uh, to, to have the opportunities. And for those of us who've had some success to recognize it and not always be chasing the next thing, but really also be able to appreciate how good we have it and, and maybe how we can give hopefully a little bit more than we take every day. From the world as humans we take and that's fine but can we give a little bit more than we take and if we did i think we'd all be better off so that those are things that came out of india and one of the great things is three years ago i went back to india for the first time since 1984 and i, I kind of laughed because i think i knew six or seven phrases in hindi which i never thought i'd get to use and it's amazing how well they have served me in the last three years every time i meet someone just speaking those few words of Hindi, how much they appreciate it. And that's when you realize that, again, it doesn't take much to connect with someone, a little bit of effort, having an open spirit, and all of a sudden you realize how much you have in common. And that's where I think you start building trust and where really the opportunities in life come from. Yeah, that sounds like it was an incredible experience. And I got to tell you, um, growing up in Iran, there were people like that all over the place. 
in my country that literally would give you the shirt off their backs. And, and, and it's even happened in, in the West for me. I was in Greece. We left Iran and we initially came to Greece before we were allowed to come to Canada. And one night I was coming back home and I was on the last bus and um, it wasn't the bus that took me close to my house. And we didn't have a phone then, you know, it took 10 years mm. to get a phone in Greece back in those days. And I didn't know how to get home. And I looked scared. And this, this fellow, he must have been in his mid-20s when I was like 14, walked over to me, started speaking Greek to me. And I said, I'm sorry, I, I don't speak Greek. He said, it's okay. He just said, hey, what's going on here? Are you okay? He goes, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know. You, you know, I, I need to get home and I don't know how to get home. This wasn't the right bus that I got on. And he said, well, where's your home? And I, and I told him and he found a taxi driver and paid the taxi driver and he said this man will take you home and I, I was blown away that this man was willing to do this for me you know um because i'll tell you it's not uh it's not something that everybody does every day but it's it it, it speaks to the greatness of the human spirit and i'll tell you you were attracted to this robert in my opinion because there's there's a lot of that kind of human being in you and Obviously, these people sense that, and that's one of the reasons they wanted to give to you. So, kudos, brother. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, so you had your trip to India. You know, you you came back to Canada. Um, I'm assuming you finished your schooling. What happened next? Yeah. So, I, it, it's an interesting thing because I think before India, I probably partly to make my dad my dad proud, or 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 some kind of um, uh, I would say confusion, but maybe because I didn't know what I wanted to do or who I wanted to be. I remember telling my dad at age 16 that, you know, what I wanted to be was a, a Renaissance man hmm. and, and just kind of be good at a lot of things and know a lot of things and have a vast amount of knowledge. And he said, okay, but you still have to earn a living. And uh, so I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and I was kind of leaning towards law. And then uh, after India, I realized, you know, one of my real passions was was painting and drawing and, and art. So I, I thought, you know what? And this is, I think, a direct result of India. I said, I need to do, and what my parents had told me my whole life, but I, I wasn't even following their own advice or their advice. And I, I said, okay, well, maybe it's time to to do that. And I went into fine arts. And it, it was a great experience. I mean, I, I didn't, Truthfully, I don't know what I got out of it except a three-year journey of, of self-discovery. Obviously, I developed some talents. Uh, but I think, it, it again, it was more about trying to understand who I was and what I wanted and what I could do and how I could do something that would also create value, not just for me, but for others. So that, that took me a little while. And, and I often tell, so I teach as well at, uh, occasionally at McGill and Concordia University here in Montreal. And often I tell people, and when they say, well, I'm not sure what I want to be. And I go, well, that's okay. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong. I'm, I'm 53 and I would argue that I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to be when I grow up. Mm. Uh, you know, my, my hope is that every step of the way, I've got this suitcase that, and I'm filling it with more knowledge that's just going to help me with whatever I do next. And, and the other thing that I realized at that time when I couldn't decide was, um, I read a book actually by uh, Michael Crichton. I think it was called Travels, Autobiography. Mm. And, he, and he's a really interesting guy, which I, you know, I'd read his, his thrillers, but I didn't realize all these other things he had done, you know, directing the great train robbery, climbing Kilimanjaro, and a number of other things. And it occurred to me at that point in my life, I, I made a very conscious decision, uh, Nikki, that whatever I was going to do next, I would sit down and think about it and say, would I want to write a chapter about this if I were 80 years old and looking back at my life? And if I don't want to write a chapter about it, is it because it's not interesting enough, important enough, or just not the right decision for me? So, I mean, I had some offers uh, where I thought, oh, this would be good financially for me, but I realized it's not something I'd be proud of. I probably shouldn't do it. Mm. So, so it helped me kind of figure out each time. And, and I should point out, I have never found it easy to change careers. It's always an incredibly difficult decision because you feel like you're giving up a part of everything you've built. Yeah. It's always driven me to say, okay, well, if I'm making, if I'm really looking at this as what is the right decision for me and I'm being honest with myself, I think we all kind of have to figure out our own mechanism. That was mine. 
uh, and not being afraid to not make money. Not, I, I love one friend of mine told me when I sold my business and he's done really well in finance, smart guy, always been very focused, always on the same track. And he said, Robert, he goes, we've both been really lucky in life. He said, the only difference is you had way more fun getting there than I did because you never tried to make money. You just went out and did what you loved and eventually it led to some success. And I found that really interesting. And I was always kind of terrified. Am I making the right decision? Am I making the wrong decision? And, and what does that mean long-term for me? But at the end of the day, and I'm, I'm really glad today I can say that it worked out for me and it's still working out for me. But I think that's one of the toughest things for a lot of people as they, they try to figure out their own path in life. You know, brother, I don't know if you consider doing this, but when this episode comes out, I'm going to share it widely in my world, but I want you to have everyone in Corporate Connections, all the members, listen to your story because your story has a lot of wisdom in it that every CEO, every business owner needs to hear this. Because I'll tell you, I chased money. I went after the big careers for so long and it took me a long time to figure out that wasn't the right thing to do. (laughs) Well, and and sometimes I think it's also, you got to get lucky. I went into finance as a financial advisor, which really not my strength uh, at the end of the day, even though I'm grateful that I did. And and then I went briefly into corporate finance because it gave me a financial uh, foundation, which I've used every day in every business I've ever had. So I have no regrets, but I I was lucky because I had a, a terrible boss. I say, I say I'm lucky because yeah. it only took I me a it. year, a year to figure out what I did not want to be. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I'll be kind and not mention her name, but I, I, I have to, countless times since that day when I have to make a decision as a business owner, an investor, whatever it might be, working with someone, I try to think what this person would have done and I do the opposite. And, and it sounds like a terrible thing to say about someone but this person really taught me how not to be, how not to act, how not to think. And it made me realize, because of that, it also made me realize who I wanted to be, how I wanted to act, how I wanted to think, how I wanted to be perceived, which at the end of the day, wasn't about being liked, but about being respected for doing things for the right reasons. But I, So I consider myself lucky because I think some people can get sucked down a path and it's easy and then they end up in this, this gilded cage and many people end up in this situation and there are worse things in life. Let's, let's be very clear about that. But it doesn't mean that you're, you're living your best life or you're being your best self. And uh, I think that's the big challenge for most people who, who have ambition is to know when do I check the ambition and where do I focus that ambition to, to really enjoy life as fully as I can. That's fantastic. So I read a lot of books. I'm up to 113 books read so far this year. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I read like crazy. I always love reading and I write books too. So the book I'm currently reading, one of a couple, is called The Road to Freedom by Arthur C. Brooks, How to Win the Fight for Free Enterprise. He is the president of the American Enterprise Institute, a think tank that supports free enterprise in Washington, D.C. And he talks about the moral case for free enterprise. And he delves deeply into what has someone be happy? Um, What has someone be fulfilled? Well, what has someone be fulfilled is, first of all, having um, the opportunity to pursue happiness. You know that line from the Declaration of Independence? Yep. Yeah, these, the, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he, he really focuses on the pursuit of happiness as being the most important thing. He says that each one of us is happy when we get to pursue something that we love. And in fact, studies show that if someone is pursuing something they absolutely love, even if it's not all that financially remunerative, that's going to have them be empowered, happy, blissful. Well, if someone's making $10 million a week, if they're doing something that they don't have any passion for, they're miserable, you know? And to, to me, that is the, 
the best lesson I'm getting out of reading this book, The Road to Freedom, right? Mm. You know, I've got to find a way to get Arthur C. Brooks on my show because I really like what he's talking about over here. But he also says it's very important that you have the opportunity not just to pursue happiness, but the opportunity to be able to keep, you know, a good chunk of the fruits of your labor. Yep. And when, when those opportunities exist, then someone's happy. And, and that's why, you know, the free enterprise system works so well for so many people to be able to create the kind of life that they want that you talked about, where they get to, to, to do something that fulfills them, live an extraordinary life, take care of their families, leave a better life for their children. And I got to tell you, to me, you're an example of, uh, of a man who's on the road to freedom and, and is living that sort of life. And, and you teach this very well. That's why I really want to encourage you. Definitely share this episode with everyone in Corporate Connections. They should listen to what you have to say. This will really open their eyes to some things that maybe all of them are not open to right now. And they ought to be open to, you know? Uh, look, I, I appreciate that, and I absolutely will. And, and I'd say it's one of the big challenges of, of uh, running the business is uh, sometimes I'm a bit of a, an evangelist for the business, and, and I, I kind of agree that, especially in the kind of business I'm in now, uh, where I'm connecting people, and it's a very human business, it is. Uh, the, the, more, the more they know about why I'm doing what I'm doing, or, and you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Simon Sinek and start with the why. And sure. uh, I, th- I think when people understand the motivation and if the motivation is pure, uh, it's great to share. So yeah, absolutely. And I, I will. Look, I, I appreciate this opportunity to be here with you. Just to no, be able to speak. Listen, it's stuff. my pleasure to have you here and I'm, I'm glad. But I'll tell you what you're saying is that valuable. You ought to take it into your organization, into the DNA of your organization, make sure everybody understands this because you've got a lot of wise things to share. So. So you got into finance. Talk about your first startup. I want to hear about that. Yeah. So my first. Well, I mean, so I, you have to understand. At age thirteen, I was that kid who was walking up and down the street with a shovel, offering to shovel walkways and then mow lawns. At age nineteen, I worked for the city for a number of years, so blue collar jobs. And while I was in school and, and then uh, bought a list literally off of someone who, who um, sold household supplies. So we called it Gershon Enterprises back then, me and a buddy who, uh, who, who bought this list from someone and sold. This is before, you know, this is before we had bulk buying in stores. So we, we uh, before Costco and we went and uh, sold door to door, you know, recycled, uh, we had aluminum foil and stretch and seal and all these things. And that's kind of when I discovered here I was 19 and I was hiring students from McGill who would go sell for us. And I was younger than most of them. And I was like, wow, this, this is, this is awesome. I mean, I'm, you know, in the morning I'm, I'm, uh, encouraging these people and getting them kind of pumped up to go sell. They're going door to door. We're selling something that people need. We're selling it for half the price they pay in a grocery store. Uh, and then in the afternoon, I'm doing deliveries and I'm, I'm counting the receipts. I uh, also learned the hard way about taxes that year and a number of other things. <laughs> when my dad said, what do you mean you're not you know, collecting sales taxes? I said, well, why would I? <laughs> so there were, there were some life lessons in there. So those were a bunch of small businesses. And then the first real sort of substantial one was when I came back from and did my MBA and, and got out of finance, so did my year in finance. And I have my... My uncle, who was a, a Jesuit priest, and but worked in film, so he he used to be the Catholic consultant for the church. So any movie that dealt with Catholicism, he was there to make sure not to protect the church, but to make sure it was accurate. So a lot of famous films like The Mission and so on, and he was the guy who was on set. So through him, I'd had a little bit of exposure at uh, to film, and I happened to be dating an actress. And I decided I didn't want to be in finance. And it was almost on a whim. I said, you know what? I could do this. I think I could, I could put these skills together, a little bit of business, entrepreneurship, the creative. I'm comfortable talking. I'm not a shy guy. I was like, I think I could put all this together and create something. So I, I, I love quit, it. I quit I love my job it. on, well, and, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of blind faith, faith when you, yeah, when you're, <laughs> when you're young and you don't really realize what you're getting into. 
Um, so I quit my job. And the thing about 16. being young, brother. That's well, that's, that's a, it's a beautiful young. thing. Less fear. So, I, you know, on December 16th, I quit my job. And then I went to Sundance, the film festival in Utah. Uh, shortly thereafter, after Christmas, uh, I ended up in Utah, not knowing what I was doing. And I think I may have shared this story with you. So if it's okay, I'll share it again. But it, it's um, my first day. And I'm with a, I managed to convince this young filmmaker in Montreal. Because uh, I, didn't, I didn't have any money at that point. And I said, let me help you. And he wanted to go to Sundance. So his dad actually financed our trip to Sundance, covered my cost as well. So kind of hustling, you know, just somehow getting it done. And we get there and, and we're, we're young. We're, I mean, the reality is we're idiots. We didn't have a hotel. We underestimated how popular this thing was. We didn't know what we were doing. So the first day we realized, okay, we're, we're not the brightest guys. We didn't plan this properly. We, don't, we're, we have to stay like 45 minutes away or we're going to sleep in the car. We can't get tickets to anything. And the one thing we were able to get was a short film. And, and this is, I think when you talk about serendipity, this is kind of one of those cases in life. So we go see these short films and the filmmakers stand up and speak. And one of them was this great little film called The Mailman. So we, I went up to the filmmaker after who'd been standing in the front and said, hey, I love your film, man. I, I, I wonder if I could distribute it in Canada. Not realizing this was a crazy thing to say. Nobody distributes short films in Canada, especially not back then. So he said, well, how would you do that? And, and I'm kind of on, on the fly. And I'm like, well, I'm going to get a bunch of short films, package them, sell them to, you know, Bravo TV or someone else in Canada, CTV, you name it. I'll, I'll figure out a way. And um, he goes, great, great. And we're chatting. And he goes, let me introduce you to the producers. And he takes me down in this big crowd, kind of pushes through the crowd. And there's Sandra Bullock and Brad Pitt. And he goes, I'd like to introduce you to Sandy and Brad. They produced my film. Do you know them? And I'm like, uh, No. No, I, I don't. And I, I've been in Sundance for about six hours at this point. Mm. And Sandra Bullock goes, hey, well, look, we're having a little party for the, the movie tonight at my house in Deer Valley. Why don't you come? And I said, well, we have some plans, but I'll see if we can drop by. And my, my buddy who kind of looks at me and he's like, we have plans. I'm like, well, you don't want to look desperate. So we, we, we kind of then hold back for a couple hours because we don't want to look desperate. We showed up there. And it was amazing because earlier that day, I ran into a guy, and this kind of goes back to the relationships we have. I ran into a guy from Montreal out on the street, the main strip. There are a lot of people who walk up and down. And I saw this guy and I said, hey, how's it going? I said, you know, it's been a while. He's been in LA for a number of years. And I said, I wonder if you could, could help me out. You know, you introduce me to some people, get me into some parties. And he goes, yeah. He goes, you know, it's, it's tough enough as it is. Um, sorry, buddy, but, you know, you're, you're kind of holding me back here. I, I can't help you out. And I was shocked. Because I always wanted to help people out. It was just my nature. And I was like, wow, okay, that, that, that hurt a little bit. So after that night, and I ended up meeting a whole bunch of people. Um, and, you know, the house band is REM. But just this crazy thing, like a kid who a few weeks before quit his job, and all of a sudden I'm in this, this crazy Hollywood-type party. Now, you got to remember, this is way back. So she wasn't quite as famous as she is today. She had just done Speed. So, and everyone was super nice, super accessible. And then I got invited to all sorts of things. So a couple of days later, uh, I'm at an event, a party, and I run into this guy from Montreal who lives in LA. And he goes, hey, uh, so how's it going? I said, oh, it's going great. You know, met some great people. It's been, yeah, kind of an amazing week. I don't even know how to describe it. And then all of a sudden there's Sandra Bullock with Elle McPherson and, and um, she waves towards me. So my buddy kind of looks around, see who she's waving at, and he sees me wave back, and he goes, you know, you know Sandra Bullock? I go, yeah, yeah, she's great. She's super nice. And he goes, dude, you got to hook me up. You got to connect me. And I'm like, ah, I'd love to, man, but you're kind of holding me back. You know, I can't, I can't help you out. <laughs> and he kind of looked at me, and then I said, like I said, I can, I can introduce you. But it made me realize uh, kind of the power of relationships and the damage he had done because I didn't really want to help him at that point. Yeah, I totally got I, it. And, and I, I was like, I had to be bigger than myself. But I was like, but why? And I was like, this is someone who didn't want to help me when I asked for help. He's a taker. He's not a well, giver. He, well, you're right. And that's kind of the rest of my life. That moment has, was like seared into me. If someone asked me and I can help and it's going to bring value to both people, not just one, but both. Yeah. Why wouldn't I do it? Why wouldn't I? It, it, only good things can come out of it. Amen. So, so that was one of those moments. And then I got lucky. We had, a, we had a pretty good run for about five years in film. And um, the reason we got out of it was uh, we, got, we got sucked in by the, 
the tech bubble and, and we're doing something in, in film and television. And unfortunately, the bubble burst and second round of financing didn't come through. And interestingly enough, I was getting financed by the guy who headed up the CEO of, of uh, the senior managing partner of the financial company I'd worked for for a year. He ended up investing in my company. So it goes to show how it's all related. And, you know, you don't burn bridges on the way out. And, and yeah, years later, I found myself all of a sudden, a tech bubble had burst. And my business partner and I at the time decided to part ways, which is when I kept kind of going on the tech route. He went back to film and has had a fantastic career. And we're still good friends. And I went off on the tech side and uh, was lucky enough to have some success there. So, yeah, it's kind of funny how things work out, though. That's absolutely amazing. So you start a tech company, you, you build it, and you have a wonderful exit. So you didn't really need to jump back into something. So what made you jump back into something? Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm being a little less serious, I have, I have two young kids, so I need something to get me out of the house. But uh, that's, that's, that's not the real answer. You know, one, I, I, was, I was a young guy, and I had a really interesting conversation with a friend of mine guy named uh, Brian Edgar, so good friend of mine. And we were talking and we were talking about this business and he was advising me on whether or not, because it, it meant going to work with a, a VC owned company based out of the US. I'm not going to be the boss. I'm not going to have uh, necessarily equity or if I am, I won't have it right away. So a massive departure from what I'd been doing for 25 years. And and I, I told the CEO when he spoke to me, I said, I'm not sure I'm going to be a good employee. That's not really my nature. Um, I like that freedom to make decisions and to, to lead the way I believe is right. And it was interesting because we spoke about it for quite some time. And then this friend, I was talking to him and he said, well, why? why? And, and I was launching my first uh, corporate connections group sort of post sale of my business and I asked him to be part of it. And this guy ran, at one point, ran Tommy Hilfiger in Canada. Then he ran a Danish clothing company for uh, all of uh, North America. So a very successful guy. And a very kind of serious guy and, and focused. And uh, a guy who can work from the head as well as the heart. And he said, so what do you want to do with this group? And I started telling him, well, I want to connect people and across the globe and create these communities of, of good business leaders who can give back. And I'm, I'm describing all these things. And he goes, yeah, he goes, speak, speak from the heart, man. Speak from the heart. And I said, well, it's going to sound, you know, I don't want it to sound hokey. Or, and he said, no, no, tell me what you're thinking. I said, well, look, I said, mine. I said, I'm, at the time I was 49. And I said, I've been lucky. Um, I've had a really interesting career thus far. I'm still pretty young. I have two young kids and I'm not sure what I'm going to do for the next 20 years, call it professionally. But I do know one thing. I want to surround myself with extraordinary people mm. so, that, so that I can discover extraordinary opportunities in places that I don't even know exist yet and in ways that I don't know exist so that ultimately I can live an extraordinary life. And he looked at me and he said, I'm in. I want that. Everybody wants that. Everybody wants that. Yeah, and he said, if that's that. what, yeah, he goes, well, he said, if that's what you're going to build, I'm in. And, and, you know, he was the first member to, actually with Kai Bjorn, uh, the first couple guys who joined this, this new chapter. And it's when I realized that we had something really good. And I realized that, that this new business, it was more than a job. It was more than a business. It was kind of a, a if you will, a vehicle to take me from where I was and my wife said it best because the night before I accepted the offer, we were at a nice restaurant and I told her, I said, I'm not going to take the job. And she, she started laughing. I go, what? She goes, you're so funny. You don't even know you're going to take the job. And I said, no, no, I'm not. I'm not. And for all these reasons, you know, being an employee, company in the U.S., the travel, we have young kids. And, and, and you know, it was a little bit complicated for us to have children and there were some, some major health challenges and scares along the way. So I felt the need to be close to home. And she said, no, you're going to take this job. And I said, no, no, really I'm not. And she said, you are because this is the culmination of everything you've done up till now. Mm. It's, it's going to let you use everything you've learned. It's going to, you're going to be passionate about it. You're going to get to see the world, meet people um, and make a few bucks while you're at it. And you're going to have fun. 
And I said, no, no, no. And of course, about a half hour later, we ordered champagne and she was 100% right. I, I took the job and I've never looked back. You got a smart wife there, buddy. Good I job. Do. I'm very lucky. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you, you know, there's an adage behind every great man, there's, uh, there's a great woman. And uh, behind every great woman, there's a great man. And I'll tell you, in, in your case, that certainly is something that is obviously true. She, she knew you better than you knew yourself. That's incredible. 100%. Yeah, I, I think when you when you find the right partner in life, right, that that just makes everything that much easier. Amen. Congratulations. So, you've been fulfilling a mission, honestly. Like I, I, I've said to Kai and to Ivan and to Graham, who've all been on the show, BNI isn't just a company. BNI is a global movement that's about helping entrepreneurs who really are the most courageous people in our society and are trying to make the world a better place through what they do not have to do it alone. That's what BNI does. BNI gives these people who, let's face it, are being hit and hammered every single day, every single day by naysayers, doubters, by uh, frankly, forces in, in the world that aren't necessarily there to help them win. VNI is saying, hey, come join our community and we're going to show you how to win. We're going to lock arms with you and we're going to show you how to win. So to me, if I may be so bold as to say so, I think BNI needs to trumpet what I just said in exactly the way that I said it all day, every day, 24-7. Because that's what's going to get BNI to become 100 times bigger than it is right now when people truly get this. And I agree. Stop, they stop talking about, please excuse me for saying this, how much more money they're going to make. Yeah. Really, who cares? Like, honestly, who cares? You're going to make an extra 50, 100 grand a year. That's nice. But what's really nice is that people who really care about you, people who give a good gosh darn about you, are going to lock arms with you and help you win. It's it's so true, Nikki, and it's kind of fun because when I when I got into this, so we're the sister company of BNI, right? So you got yeah. BNI. There's, we have a holding company, and BNI is on one side, and BNI has been around for 35 years. And Ivan Meisner did an incredible job uh, building. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, best selling author, and actually one of his more recent books uh, that I absolutely love. Uh, uh, he just republished it. Is Who's in Your Room? Yeah, and um, you know, so I, I'm obviously I'm a huge fan, and. I've had a chance to spend quite a bit of time with them. And when we started Corporate Connections, which really focuses on companies that are 5 million and up in, in USD and in, in revenues, which, which by the way, only represents about four, four and a half percent of companies globally. Yep. So it's a pretty small, and it's a market that historically BNI hasn't really reached on a consistent basis for whatever has reasons. Has that? No. So, so one of the great things though, is sort of 30 years into the BNI story, I get to come in and as, as Ivan said, he goes, you get to do a do-over. You get to learn from everything I've done for 30 years and apply it to this new market, this new audience um, with fresh eyes and with all of the knowledge that we've accumulated through our growth and our success, which is 100% true. So it was great. I remember the first, one of the first things we did, we sat down to write a purpose statement. You know, mission, vision, purpose, values. Yeah. I'm, a huge, I'm a huge believer that, you know, the values help drive every decision you make. Absolutely. And, and, and when we walked out of four days, we had this purpose statement, which I really think summarizes, you know, what we do and why we do it. And, and simply put, it's, it's to connect leaders around the world and, and empower them to create opportunities and meaningful change in their organizations, their communities, and their lives. I love it. And it's about so much more than just grow your business, make more money. And it's interesting, a few years ago, we had a guy who's here in Montreal, and he came to an event with a bunch of members, and he was interested in launching this uh, in the Middle East. Actually, he ended up launching it in Dubai, in, in the United Arab Emirates. And the next day, he said, I spoke to every single member last night. And I asked him why they were doing this. And he goes, you know what was interesting? And I'm kind of sitting there waiting to see what he's going to say. And he goes, not one of them said for the business. Hmm. And I said, really? And he goes, every single one of them 
And some version said, because it's fun. And he said, now, when I asked them about the money, they said, oh, no, but that's a given. You put 25 business owners in a room, business gets done. It just happens. It's, we can't help ourselves. No, you can't. And then you add the structure and the rest, it accelerates it. But it was really interesting to hear that this was what they were telling a complete stranger, was that it's fun. And then I said, all right, we've done something right. Because that means they're not showing up because they have to, because it's a commitment, because it's going to drive their business. They're doing it because they actually enjoy it. And that goes back to what we said at the very beginning of our conversation. I think if you're passionate about something and you enjoy something, you're going to pour your heart and soul into it. And that's when you get the best results. Amen, brother. Amen. Like, like honestly, uh, I'm moved. I've got goosebumps listening to you talk because you're speaking my language. So I want to tell everybody who's listening to this episode today, Robert Chauvet is a real deal. Corporate Connections is a real deal. You need to check out Corporate Connections. You need to check out Robert Chauvet. And I'm going to talk to you, Robert, offline because you're a thought leader, man, and we got to brand you as such. And I would be honored to honestly to help you do that if that's something that you agree with me is something you need to do more of because I think that brand's going to pull more people to the message and they got to hear your story. Your story is too compelling to be in the background. In my opinion. Well, I, I, I would love that, Nikki. I'd be honored to, to yeah, have no, that opportunity. We're, we're, we're going to do it. This is what I do professionally, man. We're going to do it. I'm good at this. <laughs> let's, let's talk. Let's seriously talk. We're talking about a bunch of stuff, but number two is I'm one of your guys. I'm going to support you in growing this to, you know, 3,500 members, 10,000 members, whatever you want to do, because this needs to, this needs to get bigger. This needs to, to get more powerful. So we will we'll chat about that. What else I can do, whatever you need, whoever you need me to introduce you to, just consider it done. Uh, and and well, we'll, we'll make that happen. And Nikki, uh, you're, you're reminding me, uh, uh, Seth Godin has a, has a quote that I've always liked where it's either you're going to tell stories that spread or you'll become irrelevant. So I have to thank you because you're sharing this story, you're getting it out there. And at the end of the day, it's so, I agree with you. It's so important. We can do something, but if people don't know about it, uh, it, it really, it loses all of its effect and it doesn't have the impact. So uh, this is great. It's great to be here and it's great to be sharing our yeah, story. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. This has been fun. I've really enjoyed this. You know, I do these podcast interviews because I, I have fun doing them. <laughs> They're so much fun for me. It's awesome. So that's something that, that we're absolutely at 100% do. So I'd like to end off each and every single episode by asking you as our guest expert to give us your top three pieces of advice, kind of like in bullet form. What are the top three pieces of advice you want my listener to take on to take their life to the next level? What do you say? Yeah, so I think one is to be true to yourself. And, and that's, in some ways, that's a tough one. Um, so that means taking the time to, to listen to yourself, know yourself. And uh, there's, I think it's an Oscar Wilde quote, but, you know, you may as well be yourself because everybody else is already taken. Well said. So, you know, be true to yourself in every decision that you make. Um, two, I think don't be afraid of the tough decisions. So you want to, you're going to face, and we all do, and whether it's you're, you're coming out of school or you've been in business 30 years, we all have tough decisions. And I think, and I'm really referring to kind of those big life-altering decisions. I think, and it doesn't mean you, you jump in head first, you know, before checking if there's water in the pool. Mm. But I think don't be afraid to make the tough decision and to do what you know is right fundamentally for you. And, and three, um, give, give back, mm. give to the, the kid who's coming up, give to the neighbor, um, help people just because you can. And that's going to come back in so many different ways that you least expect. And when you least expect for it to come back. And, and I think if you, and those are really simple Tends to live by, not always easy to do. And, and I could, you know, I could give you three about business. I could give you three about a whole bunch of different things. But those are three that when I wake up in the morning, I, I try to remind myself, you know, what are my core values that drive me every day? Uh, what allows me to be happy at the end of the day? And I think if I can live 
with some very, very simple values that drive every decision I make. I know that at the end of the day, at the end of the week, the month, the quarter, the year, I'll have had a really, really good and happy year. And I think if we do that, then we end up with really having that extraordinary life that we all want to achieve. Amen, man. This has been one of my favorite interviews this year. I got to tell you, it's been a lot of fun to spend this time with you. You've shared a lot of wisdom. You've dropped so many truth bombs for us. And I love it. I think it's awesome. So, listener, Robert Chervais, it's a real deal. Listen to this podcast, take notes, share it with your friends because they're going to want to hear this man's story. And if you own a $5 million company or you know some people who do, you definitely want to check out Corporate Connections. All that information is going to be in the show notes. Make sure you take advantage of that. And if you're one of our listeners who's thinking, hey, I love what I'm hearing here. How do I bring the authenticity out of me and and share who I really am with the world in such a way that I'm being true to myself and that I'm also using that truth, that expertise to help bring people to my business, the type of people I want to serve. That's a fantastic vision for you to have. What you need to do is you need to go to our website, ecircleacademy.com, and you need to watch a webinar. There's a button right in the middle of the page that says watch webinar. Watch that webinar. It's free. And make sure that you take some really detailed notes because it's going to give you a blueprint on exactly how to do that. And Once you've watched that, if you think you need more help, there's another button right next to that button that says book a success call. That's also free. Book that success call and say, hey, I need some help and we'll be happy to give you some help. and We'll show you what we can in that session. And if you still need help, then there's our programs and we'll tell you all about those, okay? But take advantage of these free resources. Make sure that you share Robert's amazing story because I got to tell you, it's worth sharing. Robert, my friend, it's been an honor to have you on the show, brother. God bless you. Thanks, Nikki. Really appreciate it. And uh, look forward to connecting offline and and continue talking and, and helping each other. Oh, buddy, it's a done deal. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only Robert Chauvet of Corporate Connections, go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com. Check out the show notes. Until next time, goodbye.